Well, what a week. Um, you may be someone who listens to this podcast as a fan who occasionally watches a few hockey games just for a bit of fun. You may be a full-on geek out NHL fan who watches as many games as possible, reads as much news as possible. And perhaps you're, I don't know, just sat there confused and bewildered by what on earth has taken place in the last week, in the last few months, in the last year, in the last 11 years. There is so much to talk about as we kind of uncover the very controversial subject of Carl Beach. And we will give this warning that we are talking about instance of um, sexual abuse. If this is an issue that for any reason triggers you, we would say maybe this is the episode to not listen to this week. Um, and we'll also share in our program description if any reason you're affected by these subjects, we'll put some places that we know of in the UK that can help you. Um, but a very complex subject to get into and an occasional, um, well, I guess a bit of poking. You can laugh at us as Toronto Maple Leafs fans. We'll uh, add that in for a bit of light relief because we know that everybody loves to laugh at the Leafs. Take a deep breath, get a cup of tea. And let's pick apart on one of the most complex weeks that has ever been in the NHL. Welcome to the um, podcast, NHL fans from afar. We are crazy people who love watching ice hockey, but don't happen to live in North America. Instead, we live in Wales, Glossop and Barnsley, uh, which is very different to Toronto or Ontario. I'm Claire. Uh, we also have Craig and we have Jolon uh, on the podcast this week. Um, Jolon, how is Wales? What's going on there these days? Ah, oh, it's lovely. Um, it's very wet, as the rest of the country is. But um, yeah, no, uh, we were just saying in the kind of before we started recording, just what a what a difficult week this has been for hockey fans, and particularly if you do kind of follow it a little bit um, closely or follow the league closely, and and you kind of get involved in some of that stuff, and following the reporters and following the kind of just the whole kind of hockey world that we we try and tap into over here. Um, it's just been a really horrible week and it, it's probably the most kind of disengaged, uh, disfranchised kind of feeling I've had towards uh, following hockey because you, you realise that actually, you know, the way, the way I, <laughs> my personal beliefs and my personal feelings about stuff, um, are so are so at odds seemingly with how the league is run, and we'll come on to more details about why and all that kind of stuff later on. But but you know really this this Kyle Beach story and and what a what an incredible story and what an incredible human being he is to to do what he's done has kind of really highlighted what what was talked about and what was known, but hockey culture still has a very long way to go to to get to a point that it feels kind of aligned with my own personal beliefs and all that kind of stuff. So it's been a, it's been a very difficult week to engage with the sport in any kind of fun way. And, you know, it just so happens Toronto face Vegas tonight in, in what should be a really interesting part of the Maple Leaf season. And I'm finding it very difficult to kind of engage with it, which is, which is sad really, but you know. Yeah. I mean, Craig, it, it is, 
a strange situation, is it? Because I think if you think actually how a lot of UK fans and also, I suppose, other fans outside of North America would engage in the sport, they might just watch the games and that's all. Quite often we don't get to see, like particularly with ESPN Plus, if people are following in Europe, they don't get to see the in-between period analysis. We don't have hockey on our news channels. So some people might actually, uh, they might have not heard that much about this story. Um, I think it's just mostly a lot of us who are kind of following Twitter, listening to the podcast, reading The Athletic, that kind of have looked from aghast, I think, from afar, like, just watching it unfold and and the epic failures, I think, you know, the business of hockey and how it's really failed humans rather than, and it's, it's moving away from the game, but I don't know, where, where does your kind of heart and your head sit at the moment, Craig? Yeah, um, I think, I think Joel pretty much summed up what's in my head, to be honest, when he, when he said his, his little piece. Um, I, I, I was away last week, actually, so, from from Wednesday onwards, didn't watch any games at all until coming back on Monday. So <clears throat> we've got sort of two sides of hockey. We've got the interaction on Twitter where we follow everything that's going off day by day with our, with our own teams and generally with the league. And then we've got the fun of watching games. And some of the things that we've seen on Twitter and the likes this week have not been nice at all. And I've had no, no fun with games whatsoever because, because I've been away. Um, and it's you know I'm 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 angry I'm I'm sad I'm disappointed uh, I'm wondering if there's anything else to come I'm not really looking forward to the future unless there's big changes it's it's, it's a very very complex situation but but it's just it's it's not nice really is it it's um, it's it's a very very sort of time to have a, a, a real look at the league Them, themselves need to have a real look at, at, at what's going off and, and decide what direction they want to take. There's a path now to take and, and the league need to decide where they're going and, and they need to take the, the right path. Uh, otherwise I do think, I genuinely do think that they will, they will lose a few fans through this. Um, did you, did you see the picture of the Chicago attendance on Twitter from last night, night before uh, thousands of empty seats? Mm. I and don't that think is, that's you know, surprising. That is, no, and that, uh, I mean, that's a team in Chicago that have boasted a very long sellout streak at their arena. And, uh, you know, I, mean, I know you can tie it to their on-ice performances as well. But no, you're right. I mean, uh, that is a big market team and, you know, they are they are going to suffer this. But, but it, you know, <laughs> me when we set this podcast up, Claire, all those many years ago, like we never really imagined that, you know, these are the kind of topics we were going to talk about. We we wanted to talk about no. the kind of, you know, the 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 fun stuff, the the what we would describe as the serious sports stuff, which this kind of goes above that. This is far beyond any kind of sports story. And you know, you you do that week in, week out, and you kind of talk about the salary cap and you talk about, you know, mm. some, some quite tough stories, but all with a sporting context. Whereas this kind of, this is elevated above that. And yeah, it's tied it's into, life, and politics, it's, it's, it's also tied into, yeah, it's tied into other stories as well that the NHL has kind of, you know, not dealt with very well um, over the last few years. And it, it does make, <laughs> makes it very difficult to, to kind of, yeah, care about that kind of hockey stuff. And what I found really difficult is some of the the hockey culture stuff is possibly some of the things that we have kind of lauded in the past about the things we like about the NHL, the kind of, 
you know, the tough physical nature of it. It's a very team sport. And by that, I don't just mean together. It's, it's kind of a making sure everybody fits a certain mold and all of this kind of stuff. And that's, that's what has created the product that we've talked so highly about in the past, but to create that, you know, there, there have been some really kind of tough, tough stories that have come out. Of it. And mm, yeah. See, I also kind of feel like a big reason that we wanted to form this podcast was quite often many of us are watching our games, following our team on our own from afar. And I think this could have the potential to feel like a week where this is your sport, your thing. You haven't really got your friends so much that you would talk to about this kind of stuff and say, oh my God, did you see that story? Because other people in your real world won't really understand what you're talking about. Um, and I suppose that's why we wanted to form this podcast, this community to connect with people on Twitter, to make sure that they kind of had like a place where if you have thoughts of this, you can you can connect with us. You can send us an email, you know, to nhlfansfromafar at gmail.com. You can connect with us on Twitter that you feel like there's other people that you can talk to about these issues because it's, as you say, it's quite a big investment if you do not live in America or Canada to watch this sport. You're talking about bizarre time zones, many, many games a week. You know, we're kind of having to work out, is it on Premier Sports? Is it on Blackout? Is it on NHL TV? Is it on ESPN Plus? You know, we're all working out. It's it's a great commitment. And when you kind of have something like this, I think it questions so many people's commitment of why am I bothering? I suppose well, it's because also... it's because you don't want to be part of the club, like the, the thing that we all have in common, the thing that we follow and we, we have in common is we follow NHL hockey. And does anybody really want to go around shouting about how they really like the NHL at the moment? No, no. everyone's kind of, I feel a bit uneasy. I mean, it doesn't matter over here because no one gives a monkeys. Like, honestly, no, I've not spoken to anybody over here that's not linked kind of through the kind of um, hockey fandom world that, that has kind of clocked this story. But but the, the NHL is not something at the moment that I would be saying, oh, yeah, 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 look at this product. Like, isn't this great? Mm. And, that, and I guess that's the difficulty, like you were saying, Claire, that, you know, that is the thing that, that brings us all together. That is the thing that ties us all together. Mm. And actually, right now, it feels a bit uncomfortable being associated, not associated with it, but being, you know, having that as the, the, our kind of common tie. Yeah, I mean, I suppose we should also step back because there may be people who are just kind of listening to this podcast and you actually don't really, you haven't really (laughs) followed the ins and outs because it's it's a very complex situation of what's been happening. And what we've decided to do is is kind of structure the podcast in the usual three periods. Um, First period, we'll look at kind of what happened in the past about this story um, when this person was known as John Doe, which we now know them to be Kyle Beach. Um, What's happened in the last week in the present as a second period? And the third period, we'll kind of talk about how we kind of think like this is going to shape the sport in the future. What else could unfold? Who's, you know, who else could lose their job in the next few weeks? I think what's what initially kind of struck me on this was I thought this was just a Chicago Blackhawk story. But as we've started to see a report came out investigating, um, you know, a sexual abuse incident which happened just before the Chicago Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup in 2010. I think what's emerged there, you know, there was reports to senior management, to a players association, um, 
basically there were levels of failure where nobody was accountable, nobody did anything, and this has been covered up for many years, and now a major investigation, a report, which is online, it's 107 pages, although I've got to say it's actually 68 pages with a lot of references (laughs) uh, for the rest of it. Um, You can hear, you know, and see what these interviews entailed, but it's highly complicated but I suppose Craig when we were kind of talking thinking about how could we kind of explain this to fans that might not kind of be so up to speed with understanding this and they're perhaps from a European kind of country you had a really good idea like to kind of think about it more from like a football perspective I mean let me hand the baton over to you because I think that when you kind of explained it to me in this way I thought wow if I explain that to my mates in the pub here, they would be horrified. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think, t- to be honest, when I read it back, it, it did the same to me as well. Um, so so I'll, not, I'll not use a particular football team as, as the reference. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, just, just think of a, a top football team that, that, you know, won the Premier League or done well in the Premier League for the last few years um, and sort of insert their name when I say a Premier League team. Um, so, so essentially, the, the way that I explain this, if, if and it's not very nice to to be, to say this, I'll be honest. Um, a Premier League team's youth player has been added to the main squad in order to help the main squad with their training drills and setting up for games. That player has then um, been sexually assaulted by a member of the backroom staff for for the main squad. Um, the dressing room have found out about this and there's a lot of talk about uh, homophobic slurs being used against the player uh, by teammates and other people who are in and around the club. Um, those in charge of the Premier League team um, have said that the Premier League title is very important this year. Uh, so they've tried to brush it under the carpet. Um, the person who committed this offence has celebrated winning the Premier League title the person who committed the offence is down as a Premier League title winner. Uh, and then, unfortunately, because of what we said about sweeping this under the carpet and the importance of the Premier League title, uh, the person then went on to another club and did the same to someone else. Um, it, it's not nice to say, and, and, and I would love to not say it, uh, but to try and give a bit of context in, in sort of football terms, I don't like using football terms when it's sort of related to hockey, but... Um, that's that's what we're looking at from a football point of view. And if that was ever to happen, um, that story would not be out of our news for weeks and months. And there would be fan boycotts. There would be uh, mass sponsorship deals pulling out of the club. There would be an enormous backlash. Many people getting sacked. Uh, many people never been allowed to work in football again. Um, such, such is the scale of it. But essentially, that that is pretty much what's happened in Chicago. Yeah. And I mean, what has, um, I suppose if you kind of look like more from like the, the past point of view, you know, this, this happened in 2010. Um, people knew then and didn't do anything about it. And then even in the last year, as things have come to light, I mean, Carl Beach um, is the player that we're talking about in the NHL, and he decided to um, reveal his identity. Um, it's up to um, victims of sexual abuse if they wish to do that. They they do have anonymity um, 
forever for life if they choose to report it and and so they should um but he decided to come out and say I'm a survivor and I I want to share my story because I want to want to know that there's going to be change in the future I, I think what has really kind of um alarmed me is when you actually see the statements that are coming out from Chicago Blackhawks you know, even the um, NHL commissioner, Gary Bettman. Um, the, the, a lot of these guys are like lawyers. You know, D- Don Fair is um, executive director of the um, Players Association, which is the Players Union. Um, there's talks about whether he'll still be in a job um, in coming weeks. Um, there's going to be an investigation there. I mean, a lot of these guys, Don Fair, um, Gary Bettman, they're all lawyers, white guys who are lawyers. You know, they know what they need to say in the press. But ultimately, they failed this guy. And I mean, we've called this episode Carl Beach is a hero because that phrase has been used a lot. And we really stand by that phrase as a podcast. We you know we um we really admire the the um courage that Carl has come out. I mean, he's playing in Europe, he is playing in Germany still today. Um, he's in playing in the third league. So he lives in Europe. He's played in Sweden, Austria, now he's in Germany. I mean, it's I can't even begin to think of the business side of hockey when the business fails humans, you know, and actually we know what it takes for these teams to become a Stanley Cup winner. Like it is it's a crazy, crazy game where only one cup matters. But essentially what we're hearing here is that winning matters more than people, than than humans. And I know this is 11 years ago, but do we honestly think that things are really that different now? Is it a safe sport? Is it a safe space? I think in coming weeks we'll hear more instances of players or people coming out, backroom staff maybe, about situations that have happened that were also swept under the carpet. But just to just to make it abundantly clear what what happened here, and Craig kind of highlighted very you know very nicely the kind of what it would be like over here. But this was this was Kyle Beach who who was sexually assaulted by a video coach within the Chicago Blackhawks organization, and the details of it are horrific. And I I cannot I mean if you feel able to, and if you feel comfortable doing so, not that it's a comfortable experience, I I cannot recommend watching the Rick Westhead and Kyle Beach interview, where essentially he kind of revealed his identity on TSN. It's online. uh, We've tweeted it. We've actually tweeted a link to the report and that. But go and watch, go and watch that because it's very, it's very easy in this because it's such a massive thing. And Claire, you pointed it out. This was a systematic failure. This was a failure across the entire NHL, the NHL Players Association, Chicago Blackhawks, a failure across the board on so many different levels. And it's very easy to get wrapped up in all of that and the blame game and trying to work out what should happen from this point. But if you want to just see and hear the kind of the the center of this story watch that 20 minute interview with Kyle Beach because you will see exactly what happened he describes in horrific detail what went on to him and the type of detail that I don't think I've ever really heard explained 
on on live TV. And I, you know, I work in the media, so I've heard a fair bit. But that the detail that he goes into is is incredible. And you you go through that, and you think, okay, so that is what happened. That is his story. That is his truth. And then the bit where you kind of go on to the next step is you think the Chicago Blackhawks, Joel Quinville, all of those kind of people in that organization decided that winning the Stanley Cup that year was more important than the welfare of that kid. And not only that, by doing that and making that conscious decision and choice, Brad Aldrich, the man who did that to Carl Beach, then went on and worked in, I think, a school and further offended and later served prison time for further offences. Forgetting all of the other stuff that is going on around this story right now and all the other soul searching, all the other blame games going on, that bit there is just horrific because there was a, a, a kid there who was abused, word got out, he, it was reported, nothing was done about it. And so then Brad Aldrich was able to go on again and do it again and ruin more lives. And I just couldn't get over the, the image of Brad Aldrich having his day with the Stanley Cup. How Kyle Beach must have felt and not only, not only that as well, I mean, this 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 guy had kind of already been told either you've got to go through an investigation or you can resign. So he resigned. He said, oh, but wait, can I get my day with the Stanley Cup, please? And how long are you going to pay me for? And they continue to pay him for another few months. And on top of that, give him a $15,000 playoff bonus. And um, as well, so- re- although... Fortunately for them, all of this reference to this has disappeared, unfortunately, for the um, for the investigation, but recommended them or recommended Brad Aldrich for the job that he then went on to in a school. Mm. I mean, it, it, just that just that part of the story alone means that, you know, there are certain people in there right in the heart of this, that it is unforgivable and for, for the likes of, you know, Joel Quenville, the coach of the Black, Chicago Blackhawks at the time. Kate, he's resigned in Florida. Um, you've got Stan Bowman, the GM, who was, I think, the assistant GM at the time um, at the Chicago Blackhawks. He resigned. But isn't it interesting, and we'll come on to the Gary Bettman stuff later, but isn't it interesting that the common thread here for when you've messed up is that you resign? It's not that you get sacked. It's not that you get hauled over the coals. It's not that you get punished. It's just that you get to resign. Yeah. And isn't that such a terrible message to send in all of this? Because the NHL has essentially said, no matter what you do, because essentially this is one of the worst things you can do as a human being to another human being, doesn't matter what it is you do, the worst that will happen to you is you'll just have to resign. I mean, it's a, the, the level of... Uh, shot, the, the layers of failure here. I mean, even a mental skills coach who was the counselor of the team at one point turned 
to Kyle and made him feel as if he had brought this abuse on himself by putting himself into that situation, being at that apartment on that night. I mean, it is really shocking. I suppose I one of the things I I um I kind of really struggled with when I first became a fan of this sport is you're not only kind of following your team, but you're also following, you know, 31 or 32 other teams, aren't you? 30, 31 other teams. Um, and there's a lot of names to get used to. And I suppose initially I'd written this off as a Chicago Blackhawks situation. But actually, Craig, the, the the people who were in a boardroom meeting who made that decision, we won't deal with it right now. We'll wait until after the Stanley Cup run. Those guys have then, as we just said, gone on to kind of go and work in other clubs and other teams. They're still working in the NHL, but in different capacities. And that's why we're seeing in the last few days, in the last week, people like Joel Quenville, who now he was head coach in Chicago at that time for several years. It was his legacy, you know, to get these Stanley Cups. Now he moved over to Florida Panthers, yet he was still allowed when this report came out to bench, to be on the bench that night coaching a game, even though his name was in the forefront of this investigation, that he he had played a part in this failure. Um, and, and so that's where it, it becomes more complicated. It becomes like a league issue, whether it's, you know, Chicago is your team or not. Actually, you know, it's it's implicated so many other corners of the league. And that makes it a bit more complicated, I think. Certainly for us, when we're following from afar, catching the odd tweet to kind of keep up with. Yeah, the, the NHL, and obviously we'll talk about the future in a bit, but the NHL, from the moment that press conference happened, from the moment that Kyle Beach was was revealed as, as the person behind this, um, the NHL had the chance to start putting very small bricks into place to rebuild in uh, trust with the fans and, and aiming to show that they were heading in the right direction. And the first brick that they should have laid was for Joel Quinville to not be in charge of that game. Um and the sort of the second one is to refuse his, as sort of Joel mentioned about resigning, refuse his resignation, and and make sure he is sacked and he is told he is never allowed in the NHL again. And and it's these small things that that have made me worry that the NHL maybe don't get it. Um, mm. They've, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about the future in a bit, but the way that the NHL have conducted themselves over the past few days makes me wonder how much change we are actually going to see unless there's a change at the top. Yeah, I mean, like, just looking at some of the reaction, because I was also thinking, how do you feel if you are a Chicago fan right now? And I had a look on um, our Twitter timeline for some of the guys who we follow who live in the UK but are Chicago fans. You know, one here, if I hear the phrase unfortunate unfortunate situation used to describe that poor young man, what he went through one more time, I'm going to flip out. Honestly, I feel about ready to burn every piece of memorabilia in my home right now. Um, Where is, there's another lady here, Call me a bad fan, but I'm glad that Toronto Maple Leafs won last night. This was last week. I actually just can't deal with this team right now. Not all the stuff with the scandal, but the team. A huge shakeup needs to happen more than it already has. I mean, it's 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 not great, is it? You know, I don't Chicago aren't necessarily doing great on ice anyway, but I suppose what is 
what has been a little bit more alarming is that, yes, we can kind of look at management, okay? And this is where this is a complex situation. We can look at management. Those guys knew and they should have done something about it. We can also look at from a player's point of view because one of the things that attracts me to hockey is this sense of a bond, a family, uh, you know, a band of brothers who are all kind of looking out for each other. And what I suppose we're kind of hearing in this situation is that actually a lot of the players did know and then they were making it worse by, you know, doing these homophobic slurs. And I think, I, I can't remember the number, is it like four of the players who were in the team in 2010 are still members of Chicago now? It's it's very small number, isn't it? Um and then the reaction of some of those players this week, just maybe they said something too soon. You know, had they even read the report, they probably hadn't consulted with a lawyer before they spoke at, you know, post-game conferences. But there was no kind of, you know, Jonathan Tays, the captain of Chicago, kind of almost seemed to jump straight on defending Stan Bowman you know, and how great he's been, Stan has been in kind of supporting Jonathan and, you know, it's it's this unfortunate situation that we just heard the fan mention there. But there wasn't really kind of any empathy for the the situation of what the player went through, what this human went through, what one of your younger brothers went through, how vulnerable. And not only like that, that situation that happened, but the impact it had on his life for years afterwards. I mean, this guy, as far as, correct me guys if I've got this wrong, but he was like a first round draft pick. Yeah. You know, the equivalent of like, you know, the Nathan McKinnons, the Austin Matthews, these stars that we all know about. He was going to go somewhere. And this this thing that happened basically really, you know, ruined him in a, in a way. And that's why he's coming out and talking about this, about the cost it caused. So for the players, the current players, to not kind of hear this and, and think, gosh, I know him. Oh, my God. I, I had no idea that it caused this much. Where is the humanness in you guys? That's what makes me, as a, as a, if I was a Chicago fan, that's what would annoy me. I expect the managers to get their lawyers out, to get the, you know, get the kind of clauses out and whatever they. I expect that's just that's just how business works. Those guys will do whatever they can to cover their bums, but the players. This is your younger brother, man. But that's the, outrageous. But this is, but this is one of the things that we we talk about with hockey, and and we talk about the hockey culture, and we talk about the no no players bigger than the team, and all this kind of stuff. And this is drilled into players from a very early age, and they are molded, and they live in this world where that is how they uh, how they operate, and. It, it's, it's, you know, it's almost like the army kind of thing. It, it's that mentality of, uh, you know, you, you answer to your superiors and all you have to do is listen to players post-game. Players, players are used to towing the party line. They live the party line. And it's only the kind of new generation of superstars now that are changing that a little bit. And I, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because you do wonder why the NHL isn't, doesn't seem to be massively embracing having outspoken stars like P.K. Subban and Austin Matthews and, and people like that. It's funny how they don't embrace that because those kind of people have power and power is at the heart of this story because Brad Aldrich had power at that point 
and he had power and he had influence and he abused that power. So if the power is with the players, then it's a different story because players will then feel empowered. One of the really interesting questions that was asked multiple times of Gary Bettman was about, because he keeps going on about this, you know, 0800 hotline number that the NHL has for players to report things, which is obviously rubbish because, I mean, people aren't doing it. And the journalists were asking, essentially, it's all well and good having the policies. It's all well and good having a hotline. But you need to make sure, or how do you make sure, that players feel empowered to report this stuff and to call this stuff out? And the likes of Jonathan Taves and Duncan Keith and those kind of players of that kind of generation had all of that stuff just knocked out of them to conform to being an NHL hockey player. This is how you win. This is how you be in the NHL. And then to suddenly expect them at this stage, and this is, I don't have sympathy for them, but this is where I can understand how their first reaction was well, Stan Bowman's been a great, you know, GM, all this kind of stuff. What happens when a coach gets fired? The coach gets fired, players come out and go, well, you know, Mike Babcock was a, you know, he's a, he was a really good coach to me, blah, blah, all this kind of stuff. Wish him all the best for the future. I'm really looking forward to the new coach starting. That's the script we hear every single time that it happens because that is drilled into players, that that's how they have to react to this kind of stuff. So Taves going on about Stan Bowman, how great. I'm sure Stan Bowman was great to Jonathan Taves. Why wouldn't he be? Jonathan Taves was a huge part of the Stanley Cup dynasty that the Chicago Blackhawks had. And, but it, it, it just even more highlights the issue of almost what feels a bit like the kind of brainwashing of, of that, particularly that generation of hockey players. And so the only hope that I have is I don't believe some of the, some of the younger players who do have a lot more power and influence than, than their predecessors had. I just hope that changes for the players and they do have more personality. And it's not just about, you know, Austin Matthews wearing a funny hat when he walks into the arena. It's actually about moving that, that power away from the kind of the Batman and, and, you know, all them and the cronies up there and moving it away from actually the people that we care about as fans. And they are the players and the more power they have, the more interesting to see future reactions to God help us. That's never a story like this, but, but future stories, which are contentious to do with coaching and management and things like that. Yeah. I mean, it was a two hour meeting last night with the player reps, um, with the players association, um, deciding about what the, what the, you know, the union should do about this. I think it's, it's a slightly, murkier story in that Carl Beach wasn't actually part of the NHL PA at the time this situation happened but still someone told them look this guy is working under the banner of an NHL team you need to help him out Um, and the confidentiality as well around therapy yeah yeah, it's also worth talking, just saying as well, and, you know, we're not going to go into, into great detail about these elements of the story because we we don't know and, you know, the, uh, we're probably not the best ones to, to bring you that story. But but it wasn't just Kyle Beach. He was one, he is the named person. He's the one who's decided to waive his anonymity. But there were others. There was John Doe too. Um, there was Black Ace. There were all these kind of code names in this report. And, you know... We're obviously going to talk about Kyle Beach because he is the one who's, who's who shared his story, and it gives us the ability to talk in a little bit more depth about that. But there is more 
to this. And as Craig alluded to as well, it won't be surprising if more stuff, whether it be about this story or other stories, you know, there's a, there's already other investigations ongoing around the NHL, around various different types of abuses. There's the Akeem Alou story that is still still ongoing and a report waiting from the NHL to publish and all of this kind of stuff. So there's a lot going on here. We're focusing on this Kyle Beach thing because this is what we can talk about. But even within the report, there are more people involved in this. And it is worth saying that, you know, it's it, 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 we can't ignore them. And we also can't obviously talk a lot about their stories either at the same time, if that makes sense. See, Craig, I'm kind of also thinking like, what does this do in terms of like our the culture around hockey and I suppose our expectations or our stereotypes of players, you know, from a fan point, because if I take someone like Kyle Beach, okay, he is a six foot three, 14 and a half stone power forward. This guy plays a physical, quite aggressive game. He was known for dropping the gloves um, early on in his career. Um, You know, he's like, he's got that, physical presence about him um and I think there were some people who were quite shocked like what that happened to you um and that's not really how this works but I also kind of think like even when I read the report and I did choose to read it in full because I felt like in order for me to feel like I kind of knew a bit more about the story coming to it quite new I wanted to understand the complexities and I also got the feeling that a big part of um, the shame around Brad Aldrich, you know, the perpetrator, was that he didn't want people to know that he was gay. And I, we know that is a situation that happens with American sports anyway. I think with most sports, we've talked about this before on the podcast, um, that it, there is almost a sense of it's not okay to be gay in the sports world. There is that feeling out there, yet the message that comes down from these kind of campaigns that run from head office is would indicate very different. But I'm thinking from a fan point of view, just about seeing these as people and um, life is changing. And, and, and I don't know, can you kind of see where I'm coming at? It just made me think of it from a different point of view. They're not just all these kind of crazy bearded Canadians who like to go around punching people. There there are brothers, our cousins, our fathers, you know, they're, they're, they're men, they're, they're men that we could know. Yeah, um, I, I think the, the sort of the typical hockey player as such, if you want to just focus on hockey, the, the typical hockey player has changed a lot. Um, if you go back to sort of the 80s, then you weren't allowed to play hockey if you weren't tough. Yeah. Um, the sort of the 90s and sort of early 2000s, there was a lot of that still in the game. Whereas if you compare that to now, we, we do have a lot, there's a lot more skill in the game. There's a lot more uh, smaller players in the game. It's more about speed. So in terms of the sort of the typical NHL player, I, I do think that, that things have changed. Um, I, I think the world's changed a lot as well. If, if you look at, at the way that the world is now compared to sort of 30 years ago, um, you know, it, it is okay for men to come forward. And, and I'm not saying that it wasn't in the past, but there, there was a, an element of, of sort of thinking in the world where like, if you're a man, then that doesn't happen to you and, and you shouldn't let that happen to you. And, and, you know, it's, it's sort of maybe in the nineties or something, you, somebody would turn around to, to someone and say, well, you know, just, just fight them off. Don't let them do that to you. 
Whereas it's, it's understood a lot more today. I think there's a lot more empathy and there's a lot more feeling towards uh, men who, who suffer in this kind of way. So if I'm trying to look positively, I would hope that because of the way the world is and because of the way that the sort of typical NHL player is nowadays, that that is enough to, to mean that players can come forward and hopefully it doesn't happen again. But if it does happen again, uh, it's something that can be stopped a lot sooner um, because hopefully things are better in place. People are more open about speaking about this sort of thing um, and that sort of thing, really. Uh, I suppose if we sort of, like, we look at sort of people around our age, would would we be comfortable? But then compare that to, like, our parents, for instance. You know, I, I'm more comfortable like, talking about these sort of things than, than for example, my dad, who's, who's like, from the older generation. Do you know what I mean? And it, I think it's a generational thing that hopefully sort of feeds through into hockey. Um, the physicalness has gone out of hockey as well, and, and all of that together puts something sort of in place as such where, where this either doesn't happen or if it does happen is immediately stopped. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's just kind of look at what, what do we think about the future, either the, the short term or the long term. Um, where, where do we think this kind of... Wanna, before we kind of go on to the future, do you want to kind of mention the, the press conference, the Gary Bettman press conference? Because that was kind of the present, wasn't it, really, with, with that? And yeah, so this happened like yesterday, didn't it? Where finally, yeah. I mean, and then there and there are a few of the people who are yet to speak to the media. So yep. we're, probably, we're probably about doing it now whilst we do yeah. this podcast, because that's always how it works, <laughs> isn't it? There'll be lots that there'll be lots that happens over the next few days. Gary Bettman, NHL commissioner, been in this sport for what, 25, 30 yeah. years or something. He is a lawyer by by trade. Let's just yeah, add that in there. Yeah. He had already spoken to Carl Beach privately and has offered him and his family all the support they need in terms of the counselling. I suppose what was quite shocking in a sense was Rick Westhead, who is one of the most prominent reporters of this story for TSN, was almost kind of like, it felt like he was kind of butted out from asking a question until 41 minutes into that press conference. And one of the questions he asked was, but what about the other guys that went on to be, you know, uh, abused as a result of your failing, you know, your this this team and this management collections failing for not doing something about it. Will you support them? And that was something that the NHL commissioner couldn't answer because he needed more information. What information well, he, do you need? He really? also essentially said, that's not our problem, really. Because yeah. he said, well, it didn't happen in the NHL. <laughs> was the kind of the summary of what he said in that. And... You're right about the, you know, the only reason Rick Westhead, one of the key journalists, the reason yeah, the re- Carl Beach says so in his interview, with the reason why we are where we are right now, and we know all of the stuff that we do now is is Rick Westhead, and it took another journalist to prompt the NHL to ask Rick a question in that press conference. I mean, how insane! Like, how is there not somebody? who looks at that in the NHL and thinks we cannot not let this guy ask a question, which is essentially what it looked like they did. And even if they didn't, they... Then does that not just go back? That does, does that not just go back to the NHL not getting it? Uh, As I said, maybe 10 minutes ago, do they get it or not? 
Yeah. I think you're I think you're spot on. And I think that was the the hardest bit for me of watching that press conference and why I think it is so important to highlight is that I watched it and I felt like I was watching a discussion about maybe reviewing the the department for player safety or it was a team has become, you know, has, has circumnavigated the cap or, you know, tamper have been done for, you know, cap compliance or lack of cap compliance like that was the kind of the tone and the vibe of the kind of conversation that you were hearing back from Bill Daly and from Gary Bettman and you know the the way that they were talking you know and and the only punishment so we're talking about these resignations so so people have resigned through this and we've talked about that the only punishment for for the Blackhawks and the and the failure to report and the failure to to deal with this properly is two million dollars so they've been fined two million dollars to put that into context you know, you've got you've got teams like I think it was the New Jersey Devils who got fined three million dollars and a few draft picks for um, basically messing around with the cap and essentially messing up that. You've got the Arizona Coyotes who were battered with um, picks taken away from them because they were cheating the kind of draft system with an athlete and they were kind of you know they were messing around with that. So you've got those kind of punishments for those in-sport things. And yet this, which is just in a different league to what we were talking about then, as we've said, it goes above sport. It's not, this isn't a sporting story. This is a human story. This is an abuse story. (laughs) The NHL, how Gary Bettman could even say this with a straight face, but the NHL essentially put a $2 million price tag on that offence to the Chicago Blackhawks. Mm. And, and why could... are they doing it? Why is a third party not involved here? How is the NHL suddenly the one that is the the judge yeah, in all exactly. of this? And you've got you've got this crazy scenario. And, and to kind of go back again, sorry to kind of flip flop around, but the you know this whole investigation was by a law firm called Jenner and Block, and they were employed by the Blackhawks to investigate this. So it was an internal investigation, essentially. And there was a lot of talk about and scepticism at the time because it was like, well, how independent is this? Because the person paying you to do this is the organisation you're investigating. Turns out, and fair play to Jedder and Block, they they did do a very thorough investigation and have publicised it. And we know a lot of information that we didn't before. So th- that has happened. But you're right, Claire. How How is the NHL, who are right in this, and I know Bettman is trying to kind of say that we didn't know anything about this kind of thing, and we're now dealing with it, but how are they kind of the judge, jury, and executioner in this? It seems utterly bizarre. Mm. And, you're, and, you know, just to finish on that point, Greg, you're totally right in terms of the feel of it. I watched that press conference, and I felt like Gary Bettman – and who knows whether Bill Daly can speak for himself or not. I don't know whether he literally has to just be careful what he says. But Gary also a lawyer. does not. He's also a lawyer. They all are. <laughs> exactly. But he does not get it. And he does not get the gravity of this and the sheer amount of anger and disgust oh, yeah. at the way the NHL and the Blackhawks and the individuals there failed. And, you know... If, if only he talked about the punishment for the teams and if only he talked about the kind of um, desire to try and 
get some kind of justice with the same amount of passion that he was willing to defend Kevin Day off with and almost defend, seemingly defend at times, Joel Quinville and Stan Bowman in that press conference. It, it, it baffled me that that was the bit where he decided to seem to get animated and passionate and really the other stuff was kind of like, well, we've, we've punished them and those guys have resigned. So, and don't worry, we're going to come up with a new policy. It, oh, it was a joke. It was just horrific to watch. I think the NHL have had three or four opportunities to try and not, not make things right in any way, but to try and show that they're heading towards the right track and yeah. they have failed in every single yep. one this week. Um, yep. in, in what planet does the person making this press conference not put Rick Westhead first? I don't understand I it. Give him special preference for what should be he's thanking done and, him. You, you know, he asked the first question every yeah. single press conference. Now moving forward, um, yeah. the the fine's a complete joke. Um, I, I, to be honest, when I have sort of thought about the fine, and I personally don't know where you begin to put a figure on it. Um, it's impossible to put a figure on it. So whatever the NHL do, they're sort of not really onto a winner at all. But. Two million, and know full well, hundred percent is not the figure to put on it. But if they, um, but if they turn around, if if they turn around the NHL, and, and I agree, a financial figure is difficult because you've got to work out the kind of the the Verts family kind of wealth is insane. So how are you ever going to find them enough? But if they, but if they turned around, and bear in mind how hard they hit Arizona for cheating a kind of fitness test. If they turn around to Chicago, and again, this is by no means a just punishment. It, even that, even this is not enough. But if you strip the Chicago Blackhawks of their first and second round picks for the next five years, that is franchise altering. That is going to set the Chicago Blackhawks into the hockey oblivion for the next five years because they're just going to they're not going to be able to cope and they're going to have to essentially just clear out, start again. They're going to be irrelevant to the NHL for probably six or seven years. You could do that as the NHL. And you could go and do that and make a stand. And it is not enough, but at least we wouldn't be sitting there going two million. They probably made two million the other night with the reduced ticket sales from their stadium. Like, yeah. oh, and Bettman trying to justify it, trying to say, well, it's a substantial amount of money. Well, and yeah, it's not comparable. To us three it is. Yeah. But- <laughs> I mean, there is also, we should be clear that there are several other lawsuits going on at this time, which is yeah. kind of quite complicated against Chicago uh, by Carl Beach and his lawyer, which will go on. So doesn't necessarily mean that there's that $2 million. There's likely to be a whole bunch of other complicated stuff. But I suppose like this idea about playing judge and there not being an impartial or a third party to kind of come and say, here's what we would advise um, you know, it's like kind of, OK, Joel Quimble, um, I'm going to let you kind of carry on coaching that game, even though the investigation's out. That was Gary Bettman's call. Um, Kevin um, Cheveldayoff, who is now, where is he? Minnesota Wild. But at the time Winnipeg. he played Winnipeg. Sorry, Winnipeg. Yeah, he um, he was in that meeting. And at the time, he'd only worked for Chicago for a few months. He wasn't necessarily in seniority in terms of management, but he was there in that meeting. But because he kind of had cooperated with the investigation and it was that he wasn't really that senior, he was quite new to Chicago when it all happened. You can stay at Winnipeg Jets. And again, 
Gary Bettman and NHL make that decision. I think that's where, as maybe, a fan, it's very yeah. complicated because you you could be a Winnipeg Jets fan looking, yeah. thinking, oh, that's a Chicago story. That's those flipping Americans. They're all crazy, those lot. And then suddenly you're like, whoa, hang on a sec. This guy who's now one of my managers, he was part of this? Dun- Duncan Keith f- didn't, uh, didn't kind of help with the investigation. Like he's another one. So that's another franchise involved in this. This this is so widespread. As you said, Claire, there aren't many of the players left in, in Chicago because they've either retired or moved on to different places. This is absolutely huge. And there may well be, maybe Kevin Sheveldayoff is legitimately guilt-free of this. Maybe. We aren't involved in some of that stuff. And it might be the case that Gary Bettman and the NHL got that one right. But they... They, they will not get credit for that because of all of the mishe- missteps up until this point and all the mistakes they have made. You then can't say to them, you can't give them the benefit of the doubt that, you know, maybe they got it right with Kevin Sheffield or maybe they got it right with this because they've got it wrong so many times and so badly. Oh, it's just, it is, it's just awful. Like, I mean, surely to alleviate that, I don't, I don't think there's anyone who would work. Anybody who's listening to this, you know, think of the place where you work. If there's a pending investigation regarding a sexual assault case, the people are suspended yeah. pending investigation. Joel Quenville could, could well have, obviously he's, he's resigned now, he could well have had nothing to do with this. But you still, as the NHL, take that first step and say you are suspended until we speak to you tomorrow you are not at the game tonight. It's basic sort of business management. And, and I just don't understand what on earth possessed the NHL to allow him in particular to be behind the bench for that game. I, what what was sort of, I, I mean, I don't, I've not really seen anything in the press, but like what would a Florida player think about having like him behind that bench, knowing what's hanging over him, knowing what's potentially sort of coming a day later? Well, going back to what we were saying earlier about the players, I don't know. They might have thought that was the right thing to do. Uh, I mean, this this is where this idea about building trust, both like, you know, for, for us as fans, is this really the amount of commitment it takes to be a fan of ice hockey when you don't live in America and Canada? Actually, do you know, uh, the amount of commitment it takes to be an ice hockey fan is a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've got to really want to give your money, your time, you know, you're talking three, four games a week. It's a lot of hours and time and investment. Like, so to build that trust with us as fans, the players, the player reps, they are furious. That's why that meeting in the union went on for over two hours. These guys are, in American terms, pissed, right? They are like, you're meant to be our union. These guys, well, that's the league, and they're all about money, 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 business, business, business. But you're the union, and you failed this player. What does that say? Have you really got our backs in this? Um, so there's trust there. I guess there's even trust, you know, within side like Chicago. I mean, goodness me, how they kind of form trust, even though it may be like new management now. I mean, the other thing I suppose that they are trying to rectify is that they've um, they're removing Brad Aldrich's name from the Stanley Cup. Um, whether Which, by the way, Hobbo. they're doing now, and yet he has already served his prison sentence for sexually abusing, and yet he had his name on the cup while he was in prison. That's how much, again, looping back to Craig's point, the NHL don't get it. They are reactionary. 
They are constantly reacting. I don't know if you saw, actually, Tara Sloan um, did a piece uh, on um, uh, Hometown Hockey, the um, the Sunday programme that they they put out in, in Canada. And she's one of the presenters there with Ron McLean. She, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I kind of urge you to go and have a look at her kind of piece because she basically summed up, I think, how a lot of us are feeling at the moment. And she's far more involved and, and closer to it than we are. But she basically said she's tired of following this sport that is constantly reactionary to all issues, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's the sexual abuse um, crisis that they're going through at the moment, all of these issues um, that the NHL has dealt with has been reactionary and they've never seemingly led anything. And her thing was just saying how she kind of feels quite tired about you know all of this going on with the sport. And it, it kind of does sum up where, where so many people are at and the NHL seemingly just do not get it. Why are we not only now removing Brad Aldrich's name from, from the Stanley Cup? I mean, mm. I mean, that is insane. Insane. One of the, um, the, one of the things I read online, there's, there's a cup winning team from Edmonton many, many years ago. And the coach or the GM or whoever it was at the time, uh, put their dad's name on the cup just just because, um, and the NHL within like so many days instantly took that off the cup. Now there's a man being sent to prison for sexual yeah. abuse, and the NHL haven't instantly taken his name. Forget everything that's happened over the past week. Forget all yeah. of that. Um, the fact that he went to prison for sexual abuse and the NHL didn't take his name off the cup mm. again. <laughs> I don't Kyle know how many times I need to say it, but the NHL don't get it. Kyle Beach could have gone to the Hockey Hall of Fame yesterday and his name would have still been there. Like, Brad Aldridge's name would still have been there. Like, that is insane that you get to this point. What? Like, what I mean, Craig, what are, what are the kind of feeling about what other general managers or other management across the league are saying or feeling about this? Um, well, in, in, sort of in, in terms of... Gary Bettman, um, I, I read something on Twitter earlier on which uh, sort of suggested that there's quite a few of them not happy. Um, whether that leads to sort of GMs and owners getting together with enough force to be able to to sort of remove him from his role, um, I'm not sure. Uh, me personally, I don't have much confidence in the NHL taking the right steps while ever he's there. Um like, like sort of, I've already said they've had three or four opportunities this week when Gary Bettman could have began to show that he did understand and he, he did want to move in the right direction and he hasn't done. And sort of everything that's happened over these past few days, you know, the press conferences, uh, Joel Quenville be, still being in Florida for that game, that's all nothing to do with the Chicago Blackhawks. That is now all controlled by the NHL and the NHL is controlled by Gary Bettman. So he is solely responsible for for the two or three little things that have happened this week where he could have made a difference and he could have shown us fans, look, this has happened. Um, the first thing I'm doing is this. The second thing I'm doing is this. These are the right steps. Allow me to continue. But he hasn't done, and I don't personally believe that he will do. Um, whether, I, again, sort of going back to the NHL being a, a bit of a closed book and a your, your old boys club, whether there is enough GMs and owners to break ranks and turn on Bettman. Um, I suppose we'll, we'll decide whether he, he remains in a job or not. Yeah. Um, 
I, and I think it's certainly one for us to watch. You know, if you are kind of following uh, Twitter over the next few weeks, and do make sure you you follow. Um, well, our account is NHL fans from afar. Craig's also got a brilliant account covering the Puck Pod. Is it covering the Puck Pod UK or just covering the Puck Pod? No, I I, I took the pod bit out of it because oh yes, you know, yeah. So I'm I'm covering. I don't know. Covering the Puck UK, I think. <laughs> May not be. <laughs> May have just but, sent you to some some random American. Yeah, we will um, you know, we will kind of tweet when we can because I mean there there are so many one of the things that I um I do when I when I'm driving a lot is I listen to podcasts about ice hockey. And you know, you've got 32 thoughts. Um, you've got the Chris Johnston show. We've obviously got Steve Dangle show, which um, Joel and I follow, which has a bit of a leaf slant, but they do cover all hockey um, kind of teams as well. Um, what, what do you, I mean, Hockey Central as well is one that I enjoy listening to for a kind of a bit of a takeover the whole league. What, what do you listen to, Craig? What would you recommend if, if people are kind of like, I want to get a bit more kind of rounded news of on what's happening behind the scenes of sport because you don't get that during the games if that's all you kind of dip in and out. Yeah. Um, be- before I do that, I've found the Alan Walsh tweet that I've just been on about. So I'll just read it just because it does yeah. it does show you what what the, the sort of the NHL owners and, and sort of other people are thinking. Uh, so Alan Walsh, you know, big in the NHL media, uh, very well connected, knows his stuff. Uh, he's tweeted he's an agent, isn't he? He's an yeah, agent. he's he's, he's, th- he's tweeted three tweets. Um, I'm hearing this morning that several NHL owners are very concerned and unhappy with Gary Bettman's leadership. I think even the owners realise it's time for a change in the NHL and culture only changes from the top down. It is time to fire Bettman. From the way Gary has mismanaged the horrific events in Chicago to his refusing to acknowledge a link between traumatic brain injury and CT, for doing nothing to help retired players, for calling the NHL a family, for the Department of Player Suspensions, for the way the game is marketed, for the lack of any coherent global strategy, for turning his back on issues like painkillers and various other abuse, for his lack of empathy and caring, for his three lockouts and all the lies. It's time for Gary to go. Uh, Which is pretty strong stuff. Wow. Who's who's is this opinion, sorry? Uh, He's he's, he's Alan Walsh. He's, He's... he is at the minute an agent. I think he's had various sort of positions. I think he's been in the media at some point as well, but he's he's heavily connected in the NHL. He's he's most famous for being Marc Andre Fleury's agent. So he was the one that kind of posted the picture of the sword in the back and all that kind of stuff. He's very outspoken. He's got his own podcast, funnily enough, with um with SDPN. They've they've hooked him up with a podcast that they're doing now, which is very interesting, called the Agent Provocateur. So you basically get to listen from an agent's point of view. I mean, he doesn't like Gary Bettman at the best of times uh-huh. anyway. Like he he is, you know, he's quite outwardly spoken in 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 his kind of uh, his feelings to Bettman. But I mean, you know, he, I'm sure he is linked to owners and he's very well informed. So I'm sure he is feeling that. And I just while, uh, you know, following on from that and I, I I feel almost like we need to bring this kind of positivity a little bit because we were talking about how, you know, hockey culture generally is is so bad and how players and all this kind of stuff, you know, haven't spoken up. I was just reading um, that Brandon Carlo of the um, Boston Bruins uh, just said that the whole Boston Bruins team watched 
Carl Beach's TSN interview with Rick Westhead together as a squad. And Carla said that both Bruce Cassidy, their coach, and Patrice Bergeron stressed that this was important to watch together as a team. And he went on to uh, to basically to say that this is something that as a whole entire team they are taking on. And that is where I really do hope that that is that is the kind of change that we want to see from the from the bottom. We talk about, you know, Craig mentioned change needs to happen at the top. Well, the way to, to make it a change at the top is to unify all those different areas below. And if you can unify the players in wanting to make sure that they've got a supportive, healthy working environment, if you can unify the journalists in the way that the NHL has seemingly done by getting other journalists to make sure that other journalists get questions in press conferences, you are ending up unifying these other groups in wanting to make the NHL a better place, fans turning away from there. Sponsors are going to play a huge part in this, you know, and where the money goes. If those kind of groups unify and if those kind of groups come with this coherent message together that they want to see change, that is when we will see change at the top. Yeah, I mean, let's just kind of... um... Round did you make, this... well, anyway, answering that question, though, did you mention 32 Thoughts in that podcast? Because I still think, as an all-round news podcast with the NHL, answering your question, I still think 32 Thoughts is just, like, the best one-stop shop for hockey news. It's yes, so it good. is, but I also kind of question, why didn't Elliot Friedman do more about this? Why was it down to someone like Rick Westhead? I... And, you know, so I think it's but... a good to sometimes have, not just kind of fixate on the same one. Sometimes it's good to listen to different. And what I've really enjoyed about Steve Dangle Podcast Network, which is quite a newish thing, like the Chris Johnston show. Now, Chris Johnson was working for Sportsnet as a, as a yeah. reporter. He's now gone freelance. He does bits for the Toronto Star, for TSN, for the Steve Dangle Podcast Network. I like hearing him and the host he's, he's matched up with speak a little bit more freely than perhaps sometimes what some of the other guys who were coming from you know the the like the 32 thoughts who work for a broadcaster they can these guys can speak a little bit more free than, but very interesting but you know but they didn't you know chris johnson didn't come up with this story either like and and he was separate no? from any organization yeah. and, and he he explained it quite well because they did talk about it on their podcast that and they they basically said well chris johnston said on his show they said well that's not really my kind of forte of journalism. And and he's a sports first journalist and Rick Westhead. I mean, he's I've been learning quite a lot about him this week just because he's a fascinating guy, but you know, he's, he's reported on wars in Afghanistan. He's a, you know, he's a real investigative journalist that happens to work in sport now. And so, you know, him, Katie Strang, people like that, this is, this is their specialism. Yeah. And I found it really interesting that it actually took me by surprise. The, the reaction when I started listening to 32 thoughts and Elliot Friedman did a bit of a kind of a monologue about a bit of a kind of soul searching monologue saying how he'd felt like he'd kind of dropped the ball here and how he felt a certain amount of responsibility that he hadn't kind of pursued this uh, to a point of resolution like Rick Westhead had done. And I thought that was really interesting because I, while, while I get that and I get there's a duty for journalists to report on stuff. It's very interesting that, they felt that um, they felt a kind of, you know, a responsibility to do that. And whereas actually, you know, at the same time, we, we could be celebrating just the fact that, you know, the, the journalists like Katie Strang, Rick Westhead managed to manage to do it. 
and they will have had to put so much time and effort into this. I don't think it's fair to kind of um, to kind of point the finger at not saying you were doing it, but generally I've seen it that point the finger at certain journalists saying, well, why didn't you come up with this story? Mm. <laughs> like it's just a really yeah. weird take. And but it is obviously a point that's landed because I've, you know Jeff Merrick and a few others as well with kind of said similar things and Chris Johnston, but. Um, yeah, really interesting how it landed amongst the journalistic community. I think, I think, as, as someone who's also been a news journalist, and I, I followed for many years reporting um, domestic abuse, and I sat with lots of male victims. Um, you know, really, kind of, oh, it was it was heartbreaking. This isn't just necessarily mental health and abuse isn't necessarily just a woman's issue. It can impact men. I think also if you know of these things that happen in your life, even listen to these stories, reading that report, it could impact you, you know, in lots of different ways. So I do just want to share, and we will put this on that episode description. Um, if you do feel that something isn't just quite right or you need support because these situations can really impact you in lots of different ways. We hear from players, you know, Carl's talked about going on to face various different addictions, whether it be drinking, could be gambling, could be painkiller addiction. There are all different types of way that this impacts people. Just call the Samaritans, okay, if you need any support, samaritans.org. Their phone number is free. It's 116123. And if you know someone who needs support, even if you're not necessarily, it's not affected you, but it's, it's in your head, just give them a call. I've called them. I've called them before and they were absolutely brilliant and made a huge difference to my life. So I do stress that that's really important because we know actually if there's one thing that we've all learned this week is that, you know, guys need support and guys need to be heard. This can happen to guys. And we need to make sure that it is uh, OK for them to come out and say something's happened here and I need help and that we need to do something about it. I think, if anything, that we've all learned that and we can see how it impacts us as fans, you know, Carl Beach, his family, perhaps even the players who, you know, he's played with, the management, the journalists. It, it's a huge issue. And at least we're all talking about it. And it, as you started out, Joel, this was never something that we would ever anticipate talking about on this podcast. Um, so, yeah, an important subject um, and a very difficult yeah. one to, to There's going to be more. There's going to yeah. be more stuff that comes from this. There's going to be more, and we probably won't be able to cover it in the same depth um, as, uh, you know, other places. But there are loads of outlets, as we kind of said before, that are covering this, and it's become a mainstream story now. So the good news about that is that um, that there's going to be plenty of coverage of this story and a plenty of pressure on those in power to do something about it, which is a good thing. So just turning things around on a bit of a lighter note, this is something that I think could only possibly happen in the UK, right? I was driving home today yeah. and, you know, car registration plates in the UK generally yeah. have two letters, a couple of numbers and then three letters. Well, this car that I was following <laughs> for at least 45 minutes its number plate ended in VGK. And I was like chuckling to myself, like, I'm following Vegas Golden Knights. Um, so that, that car you know, was probably older than the Vegas Golden Knights as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it probably was actually. But yeah. it was just one of those little moments. I mean, it's been a bizarre kind of world of hockey. We found, I mean, obviously now we're doing this podcast fortnightly rather than weekly. It's been, I mean, as a Leafs fan, 
we cannot avoid by the fact that we got decimated 7 1 by no, the we Pittsburgh can, Penguins. Ages ago. We moved yeah. on. Oh, we finished. Yeah, moved on. <laughs> but some brilliant games this week. I mean, Detroit Red Wings, we, you know, we played against them a couple of times in the last few weeks. And wow, the speed, though, it's just great to have them kind of back as a division rival. It was a really exciting game at the weekend. My dad was actually at the rink in Toronto watching the game. So he was sending me snippets, but I couldn't watch his WhatsApps until after I'd finished (laughs) watching the game. But what, I mean, Craig, what kind of game, what have you been like? Because you guys were having a bit of a rubbish start. I think it's getting better. Um, Slowly, slowly. Uh, The Avs are one four loss for, so very middle of the road. Um, You know, that. Although they've won four games, that's that's less than you would expect. Um, issues with sort of injuries are, are clearing up now. Nathan McKinnon's properly back. Um, Kale McCarr didn't have a preseason, so he's he's now played eight games. So he's essentially had his preseason and, and he's playing. Um, one of the good things for the Avs coming up is that their schedule in in November um, looks looks incredibly easy. Um, and without wanting to to hurt the feelings of fans of the teams that I'm about to mention. Um, they they play Vancouver twice. Um, they play Ottawa. They play San Jose, uh, Nashville, uh, Seattle, uh, Columbus twice. They're, they're very winnable games. So whatever I think of the Avs at the start of November, um, I'm hoping that they're in a, a far better position come the end of November. <laughs> I mean, one team that's in big trouble is um, San Jose Sharks. So many players out there. Um, under COVID protocol Um, and Montreal continue to you know be a bit murky but some good news came out earlier today that Kerry Price looks like he's going to come out of players assistant um, soon they think it could be as soon as this weekend Um, and I mean it's just it's amazing like how so Florida and Carolina still sit here as unbeaten like, wow. I mean, that's like, what, nine games in, eight games into the season? Pow. The, what a way the, to pan, make a the statement. Panthers are the best team I've seen this season so far. Um, yeah. I, I've not watched everyone, um, but but the Panthers are, are definitely the best team I've seen so far. I've seen them twice and, and they've really, really impressed me. Yeah, I mean, uh, it doesn't, and Edmonton are right up there too. I mean, Jolon, we can't skip by saying uh, they've got Zach Hyman in Edmonton and haven't Carolina got um, a popular only Freddie Anderson. goaltender? Yes, exactly. So um, when you leave Toronto Maple Leafs, that's when life gets better, apparently. Um, I, so- I, I, find, I find that narrative difficult. I mean, with, with Freddie Anderson going to Carolina, I mean, he's going to a hell of a good team. And a good team's doing well. And Freddie's a good goaltender. And I'm sure he's fitter now than he was under the Leafs. And um, and Zach Hyman. I mean, he's going to play with Conor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. I Again, like these are these are good moves for these players. And they were they were players that you know they they couldn't they couldn't keep. But yeah, the fact that the fact they're doing well is not a surprise because as we saw as Leafs fans, they were, they were good players. The story I'm waiting for, and this is why I'm going to call ahead of tonight's Vegas game is there is a player called Michael Amadio who the Leafs waived um, last week and put him onto waivers and he was claimed by the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, so a fourth line center that the Vegas Golden Knights uh, have uh, claimed from the Leafs 
presumably he's going to play tonight. Presumably he's going to score his first ever NHL goal or the game title or the game winner. I don't know, but watch out tonight. So uh, tomorrow morning, have a look on the box score and uh, look out for Michael Amadio's name. Uh, trollingly fans forever and ever. <laughs> yeah. Send abuse some big, to um, some... Jolon at... <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. They find me. Um, some, some big uh, kind of contracts that were signed as well very quickly. Um, Adam Fox and Morgan Riley, two big defensemen um, for their respective teams, the Rangers and the Leafs signing big, big, big deals. Um, Riley signed the kind of uh, the forever leaf contract, which will take him through to when he's about 86. Um, and he's uh, on about a seven something cap hit uh, for eight years. And Adam Fox, I can't remember his, I know his cap hit was like 9.5. I don't know how long his contract is. Um, seven years. Seven, seven years. years. Yeah. Yeah. So big, big deals for defensemen. And, and boy, like defensemen are getting money at the moment. Like being an NHL defenseman, that is the way to cash in right now. And uh, good on them for for getting those contracts. And they are two number one defensemen on their uh, on their respective teams. Well, Adam Fox is the best defenseman in the league. He is. Yeah, yeah he is. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he's incredible. Um, he's. I'm very surprised he signed a seven year deal because in probably two or three years the cap's going to start increasing again, um, and we will get to a point where there'll be a defenseman who does earn ten million and plus and signs that deal. Like- the only thing with that, and I, I agree with you, Craig, there probably will be, but I, I do wonder whether he's he's strike he he striked while the iron was hot for defensemen at the moment. And there's probably going to be a market adjustment in the next few years. And I wonder whether he thought I could end up signing a two or three year bridge deal. I could maybe have an off year and the market changes and suddenly I'm back down to like seven million again. Yeah, maybe. I, I think he's he's probably also backed himself into a bit of a, a a large hometown discount by yeah. pretty much saying that he wanted to play in New York and nowhere else. Um, yeah, why wouldn't you? Why like two or three you? years ago uh, when, yeah. when the Rangers initially traded for him, uh, the only reason the trade went through is because um, Carolina, the team yeah. who got him at the time, uh, was sure that he wasn't going to sign for them because he wanted to play in New York and he could have chose to continue at college for another year and then hit the NHL free agent market and sign for New York that way. So by trading him to New York, they at least got something for him. Um, so he's, he's probably sort of put himself top of the list for a hometown discount after saying all of that. Not bad. Not bad. 9.5 million for the next seven years and counting it as a hometown yeah. discount, is it? That's all right, isn't it? <laughs> and a hell of a hometown to be in. And then yes. I suppose yes. Jack Eichel has just like remained trending oh. on Twitter. It's just, I mean, the, the, the ridiculousness of tweets that keep Jack Eichel trending on Twitter at least people are talking about him still but maybe in two weeks time when we come back something might have happened who knows well, yeah, what again, our podcast will be about in two weeks time he's been talking about you know there's been talk of filing a grievance against the team and and there's rumors he's going to Vegas and all of this yep. kind of stuff and yet as time ticks on every single day there is a there is a <laughs> There is a hockey player and a human being who cannot get surgery to fix a problem with his neck because of a legal dispute over treatment. I mean, what a what a yeah. How, well, how is that is not again, the eh? biggest story at the yeah, yeah? How is that not the biggest story at the moment? <laughs> you know, it's oh. I mean, it's a funny old sport. There's no doubt about it. It's uh, been um, an eye-opening few weeks, a shocking few weeks, and there are these kind of just stories that just linger 
and just don't seem to ever get resolved. And then something else happens and this one kind of goes a bit quiet. So we'll keep we'll keep our eyes peeled. We'll um, make sure that we um, share on Twitter in the next couple of weeks any kind of major stories. Um, do get in contact with us, you know, if you want to share things about your team what is kind of um, your general feeling about what's happening in the sport at the moment? How how are you kind of getting on with the season? You know, there's always that kind of anticipation at the start of the season, but maybe these kind of issues have kind of, I don't know, quashed our excitement a little bit. We're not up for necessarily watching all three or four games, maybe just one or two. We'll keep these conversations going because that's why we do this podcast, so that there is a place where fans who live in the UK and Europe can feel connected really that you know there are other people who are out there watching and um i do just have to mention as like we put the closing music like throughout this podcast something has been so distracting me craig like you've got your colorado avalanche zoom background on but one of the logos like the a is was just like above your head you slightly moved now but it looked a bit like you had a weird kind of turd on your head Ah, you know, ah, like yeah. how virtual backgrounds do that. So Lovely. I'll leave listeners with that kind of um, <laughs> mental image. And I'll because... go off to find a new background. <laughs> Look, we, we haven't even turned up with any kind of Leafs merchandise, any background. We'll see whether that appears next time when we're bragging, but you never know. Um, thanks very much, guys. Thanks for the conversation and important subjects. And um, do make sure you subscribe, follow, and we'll be back next time. Thank you.